best way to describe you, I think, for me is that, like I said, you're the first guy who allowed me to, to believe the gospel's that good. And uh, there's no bad in him, nothing. It's good and nothing else. It's love and love only. And uh, it's just been awesome. You just you, how, how you describe the wrath and all these different things where it truly is. Here's what I know that I know that I know that I know is when you honestly feel loved, perfectly loved, everything else follows, guys. Because when your heart starts to heal up, that he loves you perfectly, you're perfectly forgiven, you're radically mm-hmm. forgiven, everything in your life starts to follow. You start feeling valuable, you start feeling loved, um, relationships start to flourish, businesses start to flourish, and a lot of you guys are experiencing that. So uh, without further ado, just... Uh, I love you, buddy. I know we've just met, but I've watched you so much on YouTube. I'm almost South African now. So anyway, let's give him a big hand. Andre Rabe. Thank you. We are so grateful for this moment, for the relationships that's unfolding here. And um, I just sense that our Abba, our Papa wants to surprise you. Yes. <laughs> I love the fact that he continues to surprise us. And so what we're going to do this evening and tomorrow is delve into the way in which we have told our stories, the way in which we have interpreted our life events. Um, Because there's a way in which we can interpret our life events that just leaves us frustrated, um, angry, confused, And there's another way of us interpreting life events that leaves us grateful and excited about what's about to unfold. And, you know, as Mike has said, we we started sharing a bit of our journeys this afternoon. And because many of you, it might be the first time that you see us or know about us, I know some of you have watched Um, I thought it's good that I start with a little bit of a story about who we are and how our story has uh, taken us on a journey where God has continually surprised us. But it's not just going to be about our story. I will highlight areas where I think all of you can identify with. Um, So this is about your story as well. Is that okay? So um, where shall we begin now, I, let, let's start right at the beginning. This is about trying to figure out where's God in my story. And so, if I think back of that, I, I grew up in a Christian home in a small little town, a small little Bible church. And um, for the most part, church was rather boring. I, I tried my best to skip Sunday school whenever I could. Um, but in those days, you got a good hiding if um, <laughs> you were caught doing that. Um, it was so boring. I remember one time I sat next to my dad, and I knew I was not allowed to move in church. And the moment he looked away, I got up and I ran out. I ran out over the street, and the bicycle ran over me, and I broke my nose. That's the first time I broke my nose. <laughs> and... Um, But when I was about eight years old, that's when I had my first real encounter with Jesus. We went on a children's camp, and uh, it was out in the African bush. And this lady came and spoke to us about the fact that Jesus still heals, and Jesus still does things today. And this was quite new. This, you know, I thought this is just stories about what happened a long time ago. And as she was speaking, uh, my brother said, Andre, he called me, and I turned around and put my hand on the scorpion. Um, and that's why he called me to warn me there's a scorpion coming my way. And this was a very poisonous kind that children and older people have been known to die just because of the intensity of the pain and the shock. And as I started just wailing and screaming, um, people came and prayed for me. And in a moment, I was gone. And I just saw out of this mist two hands coming out 
and one hand had a gift in it, and the other hand was just outstretched. And I just knew this is Jesus. And, and I felt he said to me, hey, you can come and be with me, or you can receive this gift of healing. I thought, I'm eight years old. I want, I've got lots of stuff to do. I don't want to come and be with you. Give me that gift. <laughs> and so as I reached out to the, the wrapped gift, I was back in my conscious body and the swelling was gone and I was healed. And suddenly I realized this dude Jesus is still around. He still does stuff, and he's not just limited to live in a small little corner in my heart where I invited him to, but, but that he's active. <laughs> and um, then I kind of got into, I was maybe 11 when I got into the, the word of faith, and I didn't even speak English at that time, but something kind of grabbed my attention and I started listening to everything I could get my hands on and I listened to it so much I could repeat it to you verbatim. Um, and that went on for a few years until, like many people, I became absolutely exhausted by trying to apply principles of how to speak correctly um, how to live in this place of absolute certainty and confidence. And, and I was about the age 15 where I thought, okay, I've got to either give this my everything now or just drop it. I, I wanted to have God do the kind of things in my life and do the miracles and, uh, that I read about. And I just felt sure that if I... If I just sinned less, and if I just prayed more, and, and was more careful with how I spoke, and was more faithful, I was sure if I did all those things, God would be closer to me, and these amazing stuff would start happening in my life. So I got serious, and I started keeping a notebook, how long can I go without sinning? And I, <laughs> I remember one day, I just dropped down on my bed, absolutely disappointed <laughs> in myself, and, and I just knew God was more disappointed in me than what I was. And in that moment of despair, I suddenly became aware of Jesus standing at the corner of my bed with this big old grin and smile on his face, this absolute acceptance, this irresistible love. And it was surprising because I thought, if this is really Jesus, he should really know what I've been up to. <laughs> and that should not bring a smile to his face. And in that moment, I began to realize that he just loves me because he just can't help himself. He just likes me, and even if I turned my back on him and ran the other way, he would love me just the same. <laughs> and what happened in that moment is I suddenly realized that this whole journey was never about trying to apply the right principles trying to avoid sin, trying to get closer to God. But this whole faith journey is about falling in love. And, and when that happened, when I realized it's about falling in love and not even think about the sin and stuff anymore, that was the beginning of a whole new revolution. People sometimes ask me, you know, how, how did you get to this understanding? Where did these revelations come from? I think that's really the heart of it. Falling in love, <laughs> there's a reason why it's called falling. You're not quite in control of what happens. You, you are busy losing yourself. 
uh, you are decented. You're a bit confused when you fall in love <laughs> because you dazzled. You mesmerized with a reality that, that you have not experienced before. Well, about two, two and a half years later, as I just started exploding in this newfound journey and I signed up for a missions trip um, in South Africa and because that's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to go and take this beautiful message to set people free from religious superstitions and manipulation. And so one day I was praying and I said, Papa, am I even going to get married? Because I, this is all I want to do. And, and as I said, am I going to get married? I was 18 years old then, just at the end of my school career. Um, I had such a definite yes. And it was so clear that I said, with whom? And, and the name just dropped in my heart, Mary Ann. And I thought, I don't know a Mary Ann. I mean, I lived in a... Afrikaans community, you've got Marianne or Anna-Marie, you don't have Mary Ann's <laughs> in our community. And um, I thought, where did I hear this name, Mary Ann? And then I remembered there was a cassette tape, and at the end of the teaching, uh, the person asked up a, a, a few of the young people who went on a mission trip to come and give some testimonies. And I thought one of the girls introduced herself as Mary Ann, but I wasn't sure, so I walked back to the room, and on my way to the room, the phone rang, and I picked it up, and the person said, hey, you don't know me, my name's Mary Ann, <laughs> and I, I wanted to say, I do, but I thought, I'm going to scare this girl silly, I better not say anything, and she just had to call me to tell me what to bring with on this tour that we were going on. And, oh boy, three weeks later, <laughs> we met for the first time. And I said, Papa, you know me so well. I mean, if you did not reveal to me that this is my wife, I would have revealed it to you. But this is her. <laughs> and um, so over the next couple of weeks, um, we shared a lot and... But she has her own story, which maybe tomorrow night she'll tell. <laughs> but uh, she wasn't too interested in relationships at that stage. And so whenever I had to share, I, better, uh, I had to have my Bible with to make it um, okay. <laughs> and after three weeks of this tour where the whole team was going to go into different directions, the actual fireworks hasn't happened yet. <laughs> and so we had wonderful times of sharing and friendship, but there was nothing more. And so I was a little bit confused by this. And, and the one morning, because I was trying to hint and make it clear that I like you, but there was no reciprocation. And, and so this morning, I played Russian roulette with the Bible, and I said, Lord... Did I really hear you? Is this the Mary Ann? I'm, I'm just a bit confused. We've had three weeks and now we're going to go apart. What do I do? And I flipped the Bible open and put my finger down in Ephesians 5 where it says, Husbands, <laughs> you can win the response of your wives through an open display of your love. And suddenly I realized I haven't displayed it openly. But that's quite scary. If you, if you make your heart known openly, I mean, she might just fall double with laughter and embarrass me. And, but I thought, this is it. This is my opportunity. And that evening, she came back with a pickup truck full of mattresses that I helped unload into dormitories where all, uh, all of us were going to stay. And there was one moment where I was at the track alone. She came out, and I knew this is it. I said, Mary Ann, I've got something to share with you. 
And she said, hold on, I'll go get my Bible. I said, no, no, you don't need your Bible. Just, uh, just listen. <laughs> I am absolutely, completely head over heels in the highest degree in love with you. I thought that's clear. And, and she just fell, uh, uh, folded over double with laughter. And she was laughing. And I took my mattress and started walking back. <laughs> I felt so embarrassed. And she said, hang on, hang on. The feeling's mutual. I said, what? And she couldn't believe what came out of her. And she put her hand over her mouth and said, the feeling's mutual. <laughs> and that night as I went to bed, couldn't fall asleep. And when I woke up, I would think, was that a dream? No, it really happened. The feeling's mutual. And um, for the first time in my life, I fasted for three days without planning it, without thinking of it. I just forgot to eat. I just wanted to know, where's Mary Ann? I, I want to just be with her. Now, that experience of falling in love, that experience of losing yourself, that experience of being surprised. And, and what surprised me most was not the fact that I loved her. That was obvious to me. But what really surprised me is she really liked me. And I didn't know quite why, <laughs> but I was going to milk this for as long as I could. <laughs> and um, I thought, oh boy, maybe one of these days she finds out what I'm really like, and, and then she won't like me that much anymore. And, but as the days went by, I, I came to a place where I thought, maybe everything I knew about myself before I encountered love, maybe that's the lie. And maybe I can allow love to define me. <laughs> maybe I can allow myself to see myself through the eyes of love. Now that's what 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 speaks about. That there's a place of encountering Christ, that we behold Him as in a mirror, the veil is taken away. It speaks of this intimate moment of union where the veil is taken away and we behold Christ as in a mirror. And there's a place within this intimacy where we behold Him, where, where we are no longer even focused on what we see, but Whenever you look into your lover's eyes, there's a moment in which you become aware of their gaze towards you, where you're no longer overwhelmed with or, or, or occupied with what you see, but you are mesmerized with the fact that you are seen, that someone else sees you with an adoration and that reminded me of that encounter with Jesus at my bed. You see, <laughs> Psalms 139, David, speaking about this encounter with God, says, you know my thoughts from afar. What is it, God, that, that occupies you? With me, you know my sitting down and my standing up. You see, David is not overwhelmed with his great theological insights into God. No, what overwhelms David is that God is thinking of him. <laughs> and God's thoughts about him aren't that complicated. He just wants to watch you sit down and stand up. <laughs> like when the morning came after she said the feeling's mutual. I just wanted to be wherever Mary Ann was. I just wanted to watch you sit down and stand up. 
And David starts speaking about this encounter with God that even at the moments where David doesn't feel very spiritual, in fact, there's moments where David says, where can I go to get rid of you? Where can I go to flee from your presence? David is not in a state where, where can I go to seek God? He said, no, can you just leave me alone for a moment? And he says, even if I make my bed in hell, <laughs> your arms surround me. You have found me. You see, David becomes aware of a God <laughs> who just loves him because he loves him, because he can't help himself. That's who he is. God is love. And so from there, how the story developed, you know, despite many of the little doctrines that we've had drummed into us from a very early age, when you start encountering the reality of the kindness of God, have you ever noticed that many of your doctrines no longer makes a lot of sense? That you think, how does that idea fit with this God that I've encountered? And uh, so a lifelong journey began where God started very gently showing me that your concepts of God and God himself are not the same. <laughs> Can I say that again? Concepts of God and God himself are not the same. And very often we've got beautiful moments of intimacy with our concepts of God. <laughs> but when God has become boringly predictable in your life, you are probably fellowshipping with your concepts of God and not God himself. Because God remains surprisingly, excitingly beyond all you have imagined. <laughs> And he wants to so gently and lovingly blow some of your concepts out of the water. <laughs> and so my intention tonight and tomorrow is not just to come and tell you things that you already agree with. <laughs> How boring would that be? <laughs> ah. You see, from a from a very early age, we start developing structures of understanding. We start developing structures of interpretation to make sense of our world. Uh, a one-year-old is so deeply embedded in his world that he doesn't even know that he has an influence on things that happens around him. But then that one-year-old develops a level of consciousness where he suddenly realizes, I have an influence on my world. We often call that the terrible twos. That's where the, the kid realizes, I can say no. And he says no to everything. Because there's a development in consciousness. I've got the influence on my world. Then the other day, we were walking past the tennis court where... Uh, uh, family was trying to have fun with a two-and-a-half-year-old, three-year-old, and a six-year-old playing tennis. And, and the little one just couldn't understand why every ball didn't come directly to him for him to hit it. And in one of those sequences, the older brother ran in front of him, hit the ball, and that was the end of his world. He collapsed in a tantrum. Um, because although he has now developed to understand I've got the influence on my world, he is encountering new realities, the reality that other people can also influence my world. And that is shattering his structure of understanding. He now needs to reorientate himself around this new reality that other people can also influence my world. Now, that process by which we 
encounter new realities and reorientate ourselves around this new reality, that process of developing structures of understanding, that should be a lifelong process. But for many of us, that kind of stops by the age of six, where we figured out the world. (laughs) To a large extent, that's where structures are of interpretation have have settled in and now we no longer allow new experiences to teach us. Now we teach experiences what they mean. Um, You see, if you begin to find yourself in your story, and that's what humans do so well, we, we aren't satisfied that things happen, that there are events in our lives. We ask why. We want to know the meaning of the events in our lives. And, and subconsciously, from a very early age, we give meaning to the events of our lives by putting them in the context of a story. Just like one note, bong, doesn't have much meaning, but if you put that note in the context of a melody, it suddenly has greater beauty, greater meaning. In the same way, the events in our lives gain greater meaning when we put them in the context of a story. And so from a very early age, we become skilled to tell stories, to give meaning to our life events. And one of the things that we ask ourselves is what links all the events of our lives, all the, what is the central theme that connects these events? And there's nothing more central to your memories than the eye that remembers them. There's nothing more central to the events in your life than the self that experienced them. So to a very large extent, we find ourselves in our story. And when we find ourselves in our story, what very easily happens next is we find our security in being right about our story. (laughs) Have you ever noticed how right you are? (laughs) I mean, the whole world can be wrong, and you're still right. And, And so that temptation, that certainty offers us, a certainty that says, I can give you security. I can help you be so confident, so certain about who you are, who God is, that you will have this solid rock of rightness below you. (laughs) What we often don't realize is that the security that certainty promises, it delivers in the form of a prison. Do you know that the prison is very secure? But it's also very limiting. It's getting so nice and quiet in here. <laughs> A prison, yes, it's secure, but it has boundaries that stops you from experiencing the freedom and the potential of, of the life you could live. And so how shall I make this point stronger? It is very often the things that you already believe about God, the things that you are certain of, that keeps you from experiencing God in a new way. It's very often the things that you believe about yourself, the things that you know beyond doubt is true about you, your certainties that keeps you from experiencing yourself (laughs) in a new way. See, the day that you become absolutely certain is also the day that you become absolutely boring. (laughs) (laughs) You see, in our self-constructed certainties, in our self-constructed stories that we tell ourselves. And, and these stories 
gain greater and greater confidence because we tell a story upon which we also then make predictions of how this is going to happen. And if the prediction comes true, then my story gains even more confidence. I knew this is how life works. And your story becomes so confident and strong. Those prison walls become so secure that even when you encounter something that completely contradicts what you believe, you will find a way to deconstruct that event and reconstruct it to confirm that everything I've always believed is true. I knew it. <laughs> that is why to change your mind is as close to impossible a thing as there is. That, for me, is a greater miracle than the amputated leg growing out. For relationships to be restored, for people's minds to be changed, that is divine moments. And so it's in the midst of this self-constructed certainty that the gospel comes as the gloriously good news <laughs> that you are wrong. <laughs> that there is more to you than the story you have been telling yourself. That there is more to your life than the interpretation that you've attached to the events of your life. Stuff happened, yes, we can't change that. But very often the pain and suffering that you experience is not really because of the stuff that happened, but because of the way in which you interpreted it and gave it a meaning. Stuff happens that is really evil as well. We're, we'll, we're going to delve into that whole story even as we go into the conversation tomorrow. But even some of the most devastating events God has the ability to transform your, your relationship with that event so that it becomes a memory of gratitude. And we've been through things. Mary Ann had a, I mean, she was gone. She had a near-death experience. And in that moment, it wasn't pleasant. It was pain. It was suffering in that moment. But today, maybe she'll have a chance to tell the story tomorrow as well. There are lots of stories from here tomorrow. Um, today, if we look back at that event, <laughs> all we can say is gratitude. <laughs> so, oh, one of the most obvious signs that God is busy revealing himself to you is that your concepts of God are starting to crumble. <laughs> Can I say that again? One of the telltale signs, one of the most obvious ways that you can know that God is busy revealing himself to me is that your concepts of God are starting to disintegrate. That is God's way of saying, you've outgrown your small ideas about me. Now, in that moment, it might feel very insecure. I've been comfortable in this little cell. I've been comfortable in these concepts. And when these walls start rattling, <laughs> and my concepts start not making sense anymore, and I start doubting the things that I've been so certain of, that's not a comfortable place at that moment. But that is God's invitation for you to experience Him in a way that you've not experienced Him before. And that kind of doubt is not the bad kind of doubt. I call that doubt divine doubt. That is the kind of doubt that breaks down the boundaries of your concepts so that faith can reach beyond those boundaries 
and grab hold of possibilities <laughs> that you have not seen before. You see, in that context, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. <laughs> Let's look at some of the heroes of faith in Hebrews 12. Whenever God calls these people, when He calls Abraham, He doesn't call him into a place of greater certainty. He doesn't call him into a place of greater familiarity. He doesn't call him into a place of greater comfort. Now, whenever God calls somebody, He says, I want you to leave what you are familiar with. <laughs> and there's some ideas that we've become very familiar with, some concepts that we have become very secure in. And the call of faith is God's challenge to say, I want you to come out of what you're familiar with, what you're certain of. Where are we going, God, says Abraham? I'm not even going to tell you. You just start following me and allow me to make this journey of faith one heck of an adventure again. Help me take you out of the boredom of predictable religiosity into the adventure of life with God. I mean, this is what the Word made flesh is all about. God descending into human life. <laughs> you see, our ideas of a separate God out there who watches us from a distance and just tries to keep us in line, that whole idea is shattered when God reveals Himself in Jesus, not as an alien who comes to invade our world for a few years, but he comes to unveil that this word, this logic, this story has been in this world all along. He's never been somewhere else. John 1 verse 1, this word that was in the beginning, that was with God, that was God. In him, all things were created. And there is nothing that exists except through this word. In other words, in verse 1 and 2, the Gospel of John already reveals a, a very key understanding, and that is that all of creation is incarnation. All of creation is brought into existence and kept in existence by God. <laughs> and when Verse 10 says, this word was in the world, but the world did not recognize him. And when we often go to verse 14, uh, the word became flesh, and we immediately just think of Jesus. Jesus is the word that was in the beginning with God, that was God, and, and the word became flesh, and that's Jesus. But that's not what that verse says. It actually begins, and the word became flesh. That and means Look at the verse before. This is the end of another thought. And verse 13 says, actually verse 13 doesn't speak about Jesus, but it speaks about you. Verse 13 says, you <laughs> were born of God, not of the will of man, nor of the will of flesh, but of God. And the thoughts of God became flesh. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, He knew you before the foundation of this world. He dreamt of you before you had any opportunity to impress Him or to disappoint Him. He made up His mind about you. He likes you. He likes you so much that He said, I'm going to take this thought and I'm going to put some flesh on it. <laughs> and so you were born. 
not of the will of man or of the will of flesh, but of God. And the dream of God became flesh. And he tabernacled in us. Remember that image of the tabernacle in the Old Testament? It was this mobile skin-covered dwelling place. God knew what images he was putting out there. He always wanted a mobile skin-covered dwelling place. And his thoughts became flesh, and he came to tabernacle in us. <laughs> of his fullness have we all received grace upon grace upon grace. Your very existence is proof that God likes you. <laughs> Your very existence is proof that he dreamed about you. See, why? what was God thinking? What was this thought, this word, that became flesh? What motivated God? Was God just kind of bored and needed some entertainment? <laughs> Was he just a grumpy old judge in an empty courtroom and he needed some victims and here you are? Or did God think, what kind of creature, what kind of being can I create that will irritate me for all eternity? <laughs> Was that what motivated him? <laughs> no, Jesus tells us in John, I think it's John 20, 20 verse 24, 27, he says, Father, I pray that they may be with me where I am, that they may see the love with which you loved me before this world began, that Jesus speaks about this place of creative movement, that, that there wasn't, it wasn't this static God, but God has always been a relationship, a creative movement, and it's within this creative movement that Genesis 1.26 tells us what God was thinking. You see, every time God creates, He does it in participation with His creation. He never does it on His own. When God wants to create the fish of the sea, He doesn't make the fish in a heavenly aquarium and then throws it in the sea and says, wow, can you see what I can do? Am I not amazing? No, when God wants to create something new, He speaks to the substance from which He wants to make something new. And he invites his creation to participate with him. So he speaks to the sea and he says, See, you bring forth life, swarming creatures. And the sea brought forth. And when God wanted to create you, he spoke to the substance from which you are made. And he spoke to himself. And he said, let us bring forth ourselves, <laughs> our image and our likeness. <sighs> That's why Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus doesn't say, you must first love yourself, then you can love your neighbor. Jesus doesn't say you must love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. No, Jesus is blowing apart our concept of self. And he's helping us to realize that self is not this little contained thing within me. But there's a connection with my neighbor so that I can love my neighbor as my self. <laughs> Glory. I don't know where to stop this this evening, so let me try and conclude what I've been trying to say. And then we're going to continue this conversation tomorrow, and Marianne will do a song or so. We started with the idea that we have stories 
that have influenced our structures of interpretation. We have stories that's been formed by our understanding. And God wants to again be the surprisingly beautiful other experience in your life that draws you into greater meaning and to greater beauty. Just like God stood in front of the sea and said, do you know what life is possible to you? I can sense God standing in front of each one of you right now saying, do you know what beauty, what meaning is possible for you? And his invitation is for us to co-create meaning and beauty with him. And so very often our certainties becomes the boundaries that limits us from living, experiencing ourselves and God in a new way. And so I know I always create a little bit of discomfort by saying we need to let go of those uncertainties. Can I give this as just a word of comfort? Once... <laughs> Once you discover that your, your security is not found in you being right, your security is found in the fact that you are loved. And you are loved even when you are wrong. Once you discover that, oh boy, it changes everything. It makes you much more honest. <laughs> Because I suddenly realized that below all my conscious story, below all my subconscious confusions and doubts, below it all, I am loved. I am held. And that is the source of my security. And from there, I can build beliefs and ideas that are not based on fear. Because very often, outward certainty actually is just the mask worn by inward insecurity. But when we start off from this place of I am loved, now our Abba can draw us into ideas and concepts that's birthed out of this place of security and love. And so this is the challenge for, for these two days, but we're going to trust God's love to reveal himself to us in new and surprising ways that's going to give us a, the ability to reinterpret the past, to let go of some stuff in our past so that our present can again be a place in which we are truly present because very often we just live in the past or the future. But there is such beauty in this moment. And um, so to conclude that God and concepts of God are not the same. <laughs> Your concepts might even be right, but they're not God. And so God's challenge is for us to again encounter him beyond our concepts, beyond our certainties, for us to again fall in love, for us to again be astonished, be mesmerized, not with what we know about God, but with the simple fact that He knows and loves us. <laughs> Glory. Mary Ann, can you come do something? Isn't it beautiful to realize that God is not far? <laughs> and as we go through, um, sometimes like Andrea has spoken about the dismantling of our concepts about him. He's the very hand, be, you know, beyond or below the, what we are conscious of or what we are unconscious of, the thoughts, the confusion, Below it all is a hand that holds us and sustains us, and he's not far. And I just love John 4, 
where Jesus addresses the woman at the well. And she's got quite a history. She's got quite a story. And, um, and at one point, she says, well, one day, you know, we'll, we'll know all things. The Messiah will come and we'll know all things. And he says, you don't have to wait any longer. You don't have to look any further. I am he. And then she says, well, you, you Jews worship on this mountain and us Samaritans on that mountain. And he says, a time is coming where where you go to worship will not matter. And how you worship will not matter. But it's who you are that matters before God. So it's who you are this evening. You are God's opportunity on this earth. You are his place of sacred encounter. You are a burning bush. so close I'm so glad that it's you know God is not the one who's changed that 
from that angry God in the Old Testament to the loving God who somehow repented of his anger and in Jesus is loving. But no, God hasn't changed. It's us who have changed. <laughs> and he has patiently walked with us, continuing to reveal that he's closer than our breath and that he's always been the one who's been drawing us into love. <laughs> And, you know, when he reveals his name as I am, that I am, it's we've added the vowels in to be able to say Yahweh or Jehovah. So it was the letters Y-H-V-H. And Hebrew linguists have told us that how they've described it because it's not vowels, it's not consonants, and they described it as the sound of breathing. So, and I just find it fascinating that in the context of a people who, who made much of the otherness of God, that God was so other, he was so removed from our lives, watching from a distance, that they said this name must be so holy we can't pronounce it because God is so holy and so other. But yet God revealed his name as the sound of our breathing, that we can't but say his name when we take a breath. Yahweh. And if a baby is born, that precious little life there, sitting in the second row, <laughs> when a baby is born, is it that they must take their first breath to be alive? Or is it that the name of God must be on their lips for them to truly be alive? He's so close. Please join in. The chorus is very easy.
Tomorrow is going to be very interactive, uh, the, the discussion. And so here's what I think you're going to find if you uh, come. It's going to be streamed online for all you guys online as well tomorrow. But um, I don't know if, if Andre resonates with this, but this is kind of how, how I look at it. When, when he was saying the things that we know for a fact, that we think God has to be this way, here's what's been weird for me is when I realize, like, God's not anything like that. Even though it's a little unsettling at first, I find so much more security in being wrong about God. That's what we were sharing today. I said, we were so happy that we were wrong. Some of you guys may not have been like, where were we going down this road? But we're like, no, it's like incredible news that we were wrong. He's way better than what we thought. And I think you're going to find a lot of security there, you know. And so I would just uh, challenge you, you know, some of the questions that uh, that you're having that your heart might be struggling with and and you know in your heart, like, if God's perfect love, then what about wrath? What about eternal torment? What about all these things that we've been taught? And I can just tell you, um, it's way better than what you were taught. And you'll find so much security there. How many of you guys have experienced that? As your heart starts to heal, just life's just, you can relax a little bit more, right? Because he, and I know it sounds like irresponsible Christianity, but he does his thing despite us, in my opinion. And uh, it's so, so good. And you can just trust in that and rest in him. He's good. He loves you perfectly. Um, and I, I would just challenge you this is uh, whether you're at your highest high or your lowest low, he, he doesn't change how he looks at you. He doesn't change how he blesses you. He doesn't change how he favors you. He does all those things just because that's who he is. And he can't help himself. So you can, uh, you can rest in that. It's going to be better than you think. It's going to turn out better than you think. And and uh, you'll look back just like some of the testimonies they shared and go, oh, I get it, Lord. I get it. So does that make sense to you guys? So I would just, uh, I, he, and I, I've watched a lot of his things on the Internet, these, these dialogues and discussions that he has with all of you, and it is so healing. It's so good. Nathan, you and I watched a little bit this morning. Wasn't it powerful? It's just like, yes, Lord, where has this been? So come with your tough questions. They won't be offended, I, right? Because question, in fact, the first time I heard him, I, I didn't understand it at first because we wanted the certainty. In Word of Faith, we had everything lined up, except when it didn't work, then that was just because we didn't have enough faith. So, uh, and that, like Andrew said, that just exhausts you. When, when he said, you know what, questions are more important than the answers, ultimately I was like, huh, it's not what they taught me in school, but, uh, but that's a reality about Christ. And he's like, I'll far exceed any answer you think you have. Isn't that good news? And so I think the ones that we're the most certain of, actually, when we deconstruct that and then reconstruct it of how good God is, it just, it'll wow you. It'll, it'll, uh, it'll make you fall in love all again with Christ because that's what he's after. Does that make sense to you guys? So anyway, uh, uh, I would just encourage you to get there, like I said, with questions. And, and uh, even though it might rattle some of your theology initially, it'll bring you so much security in the end that you can, you know, we were talking about this today, like, what about the inerrancy of Scripture? And uh, what about all these things that we were taught that I think is holding us in that prison that Andre was talking about? <laughs> may have blessed. Oh, there we go. Is, uh, uh, so I better shut up and, and get, get you out of here is what this is saying. So, um, and I promise. It's just better than what we thought. He's got you in his hands. Like she was just saying, it's going to be okay. I really want you to know. And, and uh, we'll look back and go, wow, Lord, you are a good God, a good, good God. You're nothing but good. Amen? So let's just give real quick. And some of you guys know that uh, I love 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And it's not this transaction that where it says uh, uh, he makes all grace abound because that's just what he does nonstop. So it's not the fact that we, we gave that he makes all grace abound. He just makes all grace abound nonstop. So we get to share in his life right now. And, and uh, so I would just share with this with you is um, we can be generous because he's generous with us. And uh, that's why we're generous. And, and um, if, uh, if, if you want to give, we can do that. So, Father, we just love you. We praise you. We just thank you that you've shared your life freely with us. And you continue to radically change what we think about you. And it's always better than what we thought. If there's any hint of darkness, that's not you. And you just, I think you're going to 
unravel that even tonight as they sleep, as they come tomorrow. You just do your thing. Just healing our hearts, like that's like what you do so well. Just if there's anything that needs to be reconstructed in there, just reconstruct it. You, you have your way with us is really what we want you to do. And and because uh, you want that intimacy, you want no veil, you want nothing that separates us uh, from you, because you want us, that's what you're after, not religious things, not to exercises, not Christian gymnastics, none of that, you want us. You want to live your life through us, and, and so we just thank you for that. And so we just thank you that for your generosity from us, that they, they can have assurance that you're a good father, you're a good husband, you take care of us, and you always make your grace super bound in every area of your life, that we'll always have enough and more than enough so you always can give. And that's just what your promise is. So, Father, we thank you that you make grace super abound in everybody's lives, in their relationships, in their businesses, in their jobs, in anything you do. Um, if they need emotions that need to be healed, you do that just super above anything that they could think or imagine because that's who you are. So we just say thank you that you've been so generous with us that we can be generous with you, and there's always enough. You're just a good, good father. So we just thank you. In Jesus' magnificent name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.